You are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by Win, women in innovation. In each episode, inspiring female innovators share stories of succeeding against the odds in a male-driven industry. Their experiences come from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and innovation departments in Fortune 500 companies. I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, brand strategy consultant and global marketing lead at Win. Sarah Hodges is a real advocate for access, access for new founders, for diversity in tech, and for equality of opportunity for women, especially in innovation. She is a partner at a seed stage venture firm co-founded by 22 CEOs, including the leaders of Wayfair, TripAdvisor, and DraftKings. Currently, Sarah sits on the board of the New England Venture Capital Association and previously served on the board of Build. As someone who's spent their career building companies, Sarah is able to share the challenges that founders face, as well as the impact that her innovation background, including working at Luminary Labs early on in her trajectory, has played in her career. Along the way, Sarah has learned the importance of mentorships and shares a unique way to get it, through coaching. In this episode of the Win-Win Podcast, Sarah reveals all the intricacies of coaching based on her background as a co-founder of Intelligently, a leadership development company. Listen on to find out how Sarah navigated the industry to become a leader and how she assesses innovation within the startup world. Hi, Sarah, and welcome to the Win-Win Podcast. We are so happy to have you here today with us. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So I'll start off with a little bit of a fact. So the majority of venture capital firms, 65%, still don't have a single female partner or general partner. You have made it against the odds and our partner at Pillar Venture Capital. For those that are unfamiliar, Pillar Venture Capital is a Boston venture capital firm that supports founders with early stage and seed VC funding, investing in their professional and personal growth. Pillar's portfolio companies include PillPack, which was acquired by Amazon for $1 billion, and you've led Pillar's investments in HomeTap, Knox Financial, JobGet, Hello Tickets, and On Deck. So looking at your last four-ish years at the firm, can you share a little bit about what it's like to be in that position of a partner at a VC firm? Sure. Um, So I spent most of my career building companies, and it was a huge transition for me when I came into Pillar. I think when you're building companies, you have the benefit of being able to talk to customers, build a product, ship it, get feedback, and then iterate and get you know, really direct response and feedback on what you've built. And the feedback in the venture world takes a very long time. You know, sometimes we're making an investment in a company that won't exit for 10 years. And so, um, you know, you're kind of looking for other signs of progress, doing everything that you can to help support founders in finding their way. But you might not know for a very long time if you've been successful or not. So that was a big transition for me. And I think the other transition was that when I was building companies, you're very deep, you're a subject matter expert in what you're building. You know the industry really well. You know the competitive landscape really well. Uh, on the venture side, you're not deep. You're broad. You know you may have a few areas of expertise and topics that you kind of specialize in and lean into. But we really depend on founders and are learning from founders every day. And so your day is really spent meeting with founders, learning from them, soaking up what they know. Uh, you're you're never the expert in the room if all goes well. Amazing. And so what are some of those resources that you've used along the way in your journey to learn more about the things that you need to know or to really be able to check if what the founders are telling you is the real deal? I think in terms of learning what to know about VC, the very first thing I did 
when I joined Pillar was go out and meet with a bunch of other VCs who've been doing this for much longer than I have and just learn from them and, um, you know, hear what advice they had to share with me. So Eric Paley at Founder Collective was really generous with his knowledge. Andy Weissman at USV. Um, my partner, Jamie, was really a one-man band when I joined Pillar, and he's been in the venture industry for 20 years. And so he's been just really a tremendous mentor to me and sharing what he knows about VC. But I think one of the great qualities Jamie has brought to our firm is also understanding that just because you've been doing this for 20 years doesn't mean you know everything. We're really all of us trying to bring a fresh lens and fresh perspective to what we do. And so trying to think differently, think out of the box. Um, and then in terms of founders, you know, it really is about finding great people at the seed stage. So much of what we do is invest in the person because the business will inevitably change. You know, we're investing for the most part at day zero before there's much to show for the company when it's a pre-seed company or a seed stage company. And so you have to anticipate that the business will change a lot over the first 12 months and really spend much more time looking at the person. Do they um, have kind of a blow through walls mentality and resilience, the ability to get up and um, find a way forward when they hit a challenge? Are they curious and self-aware? Are they open to learning? But do they have that conviction in their own decision-making? And then do they have the ability to create momentum and get people on board with their vision? Um, you know, that kind of sales capacity where people just want to be part of what you're creating because you're so compelling. And so we spend a lot of time just getting to know people and understanding if they exhibit those qualities. And then when you think about ROI, you obviously mentioned that, you know, some of that happens 10 years down the line, if at all. Generally speaking, when you are assessing the ROI of a company, what are some factors that you take into consideration for those really early stage um, companies? Yeah, I'd say more than ROI, we're looking for, has this person really identified an acute customer pain point? Is there a real burning need that they're solving for someone? Um, you know, sometimes someone might be building something in a space where it's a nice to have and not a must have. And it's really hard to get traction and then to grow that business over time if it's not something that customers urgently need and are urgently feeling and need solved today. And so um, we're spending a lot of time talking to the potential customers they're selling into to understand their daily workflow and what that looks like and why they need this solution and must have it. And then from there, we're thinking about, well, how many of those people are there? How big is the universe? You know, what's the universe of possibility? But I think in many of the best companies, they often start with an initial go-to-market strategy and one focus, and then they snowball from there and they find their way to other really interesting market opportunities. And so just because that first entry point doesn't look like a billion-dollar market doesn't mean that the company can't grow to be a billion-dollar company. And so um, we're really looking for? Is this a customer who has pain? And is this a founder who knows how to listen to that pain and solve for it? And then throughout your career, education has clearly played a large role as far as co-founding Intelligently, a leadership coaching platform. So before I hear more about Intelligently, how have you taken some of that leadership coaching, you know, into making Pillar what it is and helping the founders outside of the resources that you provide to them? And how do you approach those things? Yeah, so coaching has been a very personal experience for me. Um, I was very fortunate super early in my career to be introduced to a coach and have the chance to work with a coach when I was at Carbonite um, in my early 20s. My manager, Swami Kumarasan, was a big advocate for coaching and um, opened up access to coaching for all of us on the marketing team. And I think it helped me really understand that other people don't view the world through the same lens I do. And so when I say something, I intend to convey something. It doesn't mean it's going to land that way with 
someone else because they're listening and looking and watching through their own eyes. And so it made me very cognizant of how we're different and how you need to tailor your messaging and your approach to different people to make it really resonate with them in a way that really works for them. Um, and so I think it just, it really helped me from the position of um, deeper self-awareness and um, also being very purposeful about the language and actions that I chose to use with my colleagues. And so um, it was just a really great introspective exercise for me and nice to have an outside perspective. And then I didn't use coaching for about a decade in my career. And I um, just stopped working with a coach and about a year into I realized, whoa, I'm in totally new territory in the venture world. This is really a different experience for me. It's something I've never done before. And I could really use some outside support and an outside perspective. And so I went out and searched for a coach again. Um, and coming back to Corey Thomas as a leader in our portfolio, he just was always someone who really impressed me with his own sense of self-awareness and commitment to growth. And so um, I said to Corey, who's your coach? I want to be more like you. And <laughs> that's where my journey started in talking to coaches was with um, Corey's own coach. And I, I now I'm working with someone else in the same firm. And again, it's just been a great enlightening exercise for me as I'm struggling with challenges or trying to figure out how to think through something to have that person as a sounding board who can see things from a different angle than I can. And so for us at Pillar, um, that became a very critical resource we wanted to introduce to our portfolio companies. So we now offer a $5,000 CEO coach benefit to our portfolio companies. We spend a a lot of time vetting coaches who've worked with our founding pillars or our portfolio CEOs so we can provide people with people who we trust for them to potentially work with. But um, we really do believe strongly that it's it's tough to be a CEO. It's tough to be a founder. You're kind of on an island of one. And so finding your way to a CEO coach or a CEO group can be a really valuable resource and, and just support system overall for founders. And do you believe that that applies to everyone and not just outside the venture capital space? I think everyone can benefit from having a coach. I think you want to be really careful to make sure that your coach is a good coach. Um, there are a lot of coaches out there, a lot of people calling them coaches, these calling themselves coaches. And I think quality does matter. Um, you know, is this person who has coached other people who've been in your shoes? Do they have that perspective and understanding of your role and your daily life? Or maybe they come at it from a psychology standpoint where they just under, understand like very deeply beha human behavioral motivation and they're able to coach you in that way. But um, I think getting to know your coach, kind of dating your coach up front and making sure that you have strong rapport with that person and that that person's um, way of working is going to jive well with you is also really critical. It's a deeply personal relationship. And so you want to make sure you spend the time on the front end to know that it's good, that person is going to be a good match for you. So obviously with this wealth of experience, I'm assuming this is how you founded intelligently the leadership coaching platform. So could you tell me more about that? And, you know, how did that play out? And what was it like to be a founder and, and a female founder in a space that is largely male? Sure. So I co-founded the business with my now husband, Dave Balter. We were good friends at the time. And um, I think it was 2011 or 2012. I'm not going to remember exactly right now, but it was a really interesting moment in the Boston startup ecosystem where it felt like there were a lot of new people who were interested in creating and joining startups who'd never done it before. But then there were also a lot of experienced executives and CEOs around town who had built to scale. And Dave and I each represented kind of those two different groups. I was in the emerging leader group and Dave had already built and sold a couple of companies. And so we got together and looked around and just thought, 
how cool would it be if we could connect all these people to learn from each other? We never wanted to build um, a venture scale business. We were never in it for the money. We only wanted to build as many connections across the community as we could and help as many people learn from each other as we could. And so um, it initially started with a kickoff party. We invited everybody we knew to a warehouse space we had where we uh, had the office. And I think maybe three or 400 people showed up and that was our coming out party for Intelligently to get the word out. And then we reached out to people we knew and just said, hey, you are an incredible marketer. Would you be willing to come teach startups the fundamentals of marketing? You're an exceptional product leader. Would you come teach product? Same thing across finance and strategy and um, all the different aspects of building and growing a startup. And um, we told everyone, we'll pay you for your time, of course. And I think one of the most surprising things was that every single person we reached out to said, are you kidding me? Like, I don't want to be paid for this. I am thrilled for the chance to get to teach other people what I know. Like, what a cool concept. And so um, we made it free for students. I think it was about $20 for everybody else. And the idea, again, was just centered around that idea of access. Like, let's let as many people as we can access this learning and so we ran the program on the side with the help of some incredible volunteers who helped us with the program. Scott Seifer, Aaron Lumna stepped up and said, like, what can I do to help you? Um, and then it was clear after about a year, year and a half that we had a really thriving community and we should do more with it. Like there was an opportunity to take it to the next level. And so we started talking to a bunch of senior leaders across Boston, Corey Von Wallenstein, who was at Dine at the time, David Cancel, who's now at Drift, was at HubSpot, and just said, you know, what else do you need inside your company? Like there are, a lot of these people are emerging leaders inside your business. What do you think they need? And there was a resounding echo of, I need help with my managers. My company is growing so quickly. I'm promoting people who've never managed before into management roles. I don't have time to train them. I know it's really important. I can't do it. I'm happy to pay somebody else to do it. And so the, the second chapter of Intelligently was born as a management development program for emerging leaders across Boston. Um, and it was also born out of my own personal need. I was managing people at the time, and I thought, I'm not doing a very good job at this. Nobody's ever taught me how to do this. Like, um, how do I find my path forward here? And so the very cool thing about Intelligently was when we when we had this kind of epiphany that we should move in the direction of building a management development company, we reached out to a guy named Larry Israelite, who was the head of learning and development at um at Liberty Mutual at the time, a woman named Amy Tenenbaum, who was running an L&D company, and they just helped us build the curriculum. Like we had, I had no business building the curriculum. I was a manager learning on my own at the time, but they helped us figure out what to include and how to really craft it in a way that resonated with startups. And then I got to learn through the program as I hosted the program, which was a pretty cool experience. And I, I think back on that often today as I'm thinking actively about delegating something or, um, you know, how to communicate something that a lot of that came from that, that exposure through Intelligently. So it's really interesting what you brought up when discussing this concept is, again, this, this idea of access. So, of course, now that you are a partner at a venture capital firm, I'm assuming that when you look around, you probably don't see too many women in the room and you've received this amazing access to this opportunity. So how has being an only in the room affected you 
Yeah, I think I have a real personal commitment to helping other people gain that access to whether it's, um, you know, emerging VCs who are thinking about this path, um, women and underrepresented leaders who are thinking about joining a VC firm or founders. Uh, you know, it's just a personal mission of mine to share what I've had the good fortune to learn from other people with other people who, who are kind of on the same journey. So um, I spend a lot of time, whether it's through the firm or outside the firm, just trying to connect with people and, and help them in that way. Um, and I think we've developed a lot of programs at Pillar to promote that kind of access as well. Um, we just launched a program this summer called Frequency, which is designed for anyone who's thinking about launching a company. It's six weeks. It's totally free it's part-time. Um, and I know, you know, for me growing up, my mom was a teacher. My dad was a principal. I never thought building a company was something I could do. And, um, you know, when my now husband came along and we decided to launch intelligently together for him, it was, of course we can do this. Why wouldn't we do this? Of course we can start a company. And just having that kind of encouragement is really critical for people. And so I want to make sure we're able to do the same thing at Pillar for other potential founders, people who might not think they can do it, but definitely fundamentally have the skills to be a founder. And so we bring a lot of that um, to what we do. And I think, you know, the fact that I'm a woman inside our firm, I think diversity is critical in a venture firm. We are uh, funding the next generation of founders. And so it's really important that we bring a diverse set of experiences to the table as we're finding and evaluating those people. Um, you know, there, there are life experience that, experiences that my partners just haven't had that will make it harder for them to evaluate certain companies. Um, I know there's a great company, Top Organic Tampons, that we've spent a lot of time talking to in the past. And my two partners just don't have the same framework to evaluate a company like that because they've had a different life experience um, and vice versa. They, you know, they have had experiences in areas that are totally foreign to me. And so as we think about continuing to build our firm, that's always one of the most critical things we think about. How do we find someone who has a very different network, very different experience that shapes their perspective so that we can make sure we're opening up the door to very different founders. But what's a time where gender and other sorts of adversities have played a meaningful role in your life? That's a great question. You know, I think... Um, as I was kind of coming up in startups, people would often ask me, what's it like to be a woman in startups? And I would say, well, what do you mean? What's it like to be a person in startups? Like, I don't think about myself as a woman in startups. Um, I just think about myself as another person building this company. But I think now later in life, as I've reflected back on those experiences, I was often the only woman in the room or on the team early on in my career. I think it did shape the way that I felt like I needed to interact with my colleagues or I needed to kind of convey myself to my colleagues. And um, I, I maybe wasn't cognizant of it at the time, but I did feel a need to kind of tailor who I was to fit in in the room. And that changes when another woman joins the team. It changes when someone else who has a shared experience with you joins the team. And so I think that's why it's so important. Like representation on the team does matter. Um, and it really matters at the executive level. Like that starts to shape and form the entire company culture. And so um, we're... we're big proponents of trying to kind of encourage our companies to think about that early on because it does shape your experience. I, I have you know vivid recollections of being in my early 20s in those rooms where I was the only woman in the room. Um, so so I think that's, that's really critical. And so what's an example of when you have to tailor a behavior? What, what was the behavior and what did you tailor it to and why? 
I think, you know, oftentimes there were maybe jokes in rooms that were totally inappropriate that I, I found subtly offensive and I felt uncomfortable speaking up and saying something. Um, and now I wouldn't hesitate to say something if I were in a room where that were taking place. But I think when you're early in your career, when you're the only in the room, it's harder to raise your voice and be that person, even if you are uncomfortable. Um, and that happened all the time. You know, that, that that happened all the time. And it took me a long time to feel like I could raise my hand and and feel more comfortable saying something. And that mounts, you know, that that tension builds for people over and over again when you're hearing those things over and over again inside a company, for sure. Another thing that shaped me early on when I joined uh, Venture was I actually, I, I met with another woman in Venture who said to me, well, you can't be a VC. Nobody's going to take you seriously when you dress like that and wear makeup like that and look like that. And I thought, well, thank you for that critical advice. You know, you had so much you could have imparted to me as someone who has walked this path before I have, and that's where you chose to give me your advice. And I just thought, thanks for that. I'm going to go ahead and park that in the corner and completely ignore it, ignore it, and continue to be myself. But I think um, if I had been early in, earlier in my career and I had heard the same thing, it would have landed in a really different way for me. Absolutely. So then if you were and you are now that senior woman, what advice would you give to other senior women? Be very cognizant of the fact that you are playing a critical role in shaping the next generation of people in your shoes and that, you know, every word counts and people are watching and listening to what you have to say. And whether you like it or not, you're leading by example. And so um, and your your example should be authentic and should be true to yourself. It doesn't mean that you should try to tailor who you are um, in a way that is not authentic. But um, you should be very aware that people are watching and they're listening and it's making a big impact on them and how they see their potential moving forward. And then for younger women? Be yourself, be authentic and, um, you know, spend the time on the front end to find places to work and to be where people are going to accept you for who you are. Um, I think it took me a very long time to get to that point in my career. I was fortunate that I worked in some great companies with some really wonderful people, but I didn't think about it on the front end. I didn't spend anywhere near enough time thinking about the kind of environment I was going into. And so I think in a way I lucked out that I got to work with such great people and I worked in such great inclusive environments. But um, but I did, you know, always feel like I needed to be a certain way or act a certain way. And I think before I joined Pillar, you know, I felt like I'm going to go ahead and live out the rest of my life in just the way I want to and just the way that's going to make me really happy and feel really fulfilled. And so when I met my partner, Jamie, um, we spent many, many weeks and months, we went on long walks talking through, you know, what are the behaviors that really make you tick? What's your mission and vision? And what do you want to get out of life? What's your purpose? Um, what kind of people do you want to be surrounded by? And so I think sometimes people can feel intimidated to ask some of those questions on the front end, because they feel like there's too much at risk. But really, there's a lot at risk if you don't ask those questions, because there's a much higher likelihood that you'll find yourself in an environment that's unhealthy or not, you know, fulfilling to you personally, where you don't feel like you can be yourself and it doesn't feel inclusive to you. So um, I would just encourage people to ask those questions. Make sure you're surrounding yourself with people in an environment that's going to feel good to you. So then taking it back earlier in your career, almost 10 years ago, you started as an innovation consultant at Luminary Labs here in New York City. So how did you get into the innovation industry and what prompted you to go into it? 
on accident. Uh, if I were, if, I mean, it's been so long, it's hard for me to remember, but I think I met uh, Sarah Hollaback through, who runs Luminary Labs, through a good friend of mine, Charles Hong, who was uh, in the healthcare space. And Sarah was at the time leading a number of innovation challenges for healthcare companies. And I was thinking about, you know, what was next for me, what was ahead. And Charles said, well, you should meet Sarah. She's really inspiring. She's doing some pretty cool work. I feel like you two would hit it off. And I remember going to meet with her in her office in New York and her just saying, okay, well, when are you going to start? Like, let's, let's do this. And I thought, okay, cool, let's do it. Um, and I just learned such a tremendous amount from her. Uh, I don't think I knew on the front end, like how fortunate I was to have been able to land that role. She is an incredibly inspiring, passionate thoughtful leader who really pushes the boundaries. And, you know, I talked to you earlier about this idea of creating momentum as a founder and want, uh, you know, creating that energy that makes people want to get on board and join you. Sarah has that in spades. Um, you just want to get in her orbit and be in her proximity because you want to feed off of whatever you can that she's putting out into the universe. Uh, she's just always a step ahead, very innovative, very creative. And so, um, you know, it was a very cool opportunity to get exposed to her and her leadership. And what did you learn from innovation consultancy as an industry? I think as an industry, it was almost coming from the world of, so I'd, I'd already done some work in startups when I joined Luminary Labs. And a lot of the work I was doing at Luminary Labs was with big corporations and big enterprise companies. And um, I was almost shocked at the gap from an innovation standpoint at how fast we were able to move on the startup side and how agile we were and how rapidly we could iterate and how slow enterprise companies were. And so there was like this hunger and desire in these companies to change change, um, but just no ability internally to make that change happen. Uh, and, and so it was, it was just very interesting to see the difference in pace and to understand that, you know, sometimes as a company gets bigger and has more resources and has more abundance, it actually gets harder to innovate. It actually slows you down, even though you have more at your disposal. Um, so that was a great, a great lesson for me. I think the other thing I learned from Sarah was she was meticulous about uh, excellence and delivery. The bar she set was exceptionally high. And I think I've brought that to you know everything I've done in my work, just aim for more, try to do better, strive to be great. And I saw that in her example where she, you know, she really pushed people to excel and to deliver at a very high level. And then now looking at these companies that you're considering investing in, how do you evaluate their innovation and both as a company and both internally? I think by talking to, to, to customers for sure and really understanding like, okay, did this, did this founder really identify a real problem? And then, um, you know, watching and seeing how quickly they innovate. Some of the founders in our portfolio, you know, I, for a lot of people I work with, I'll have a weekly call set up where we just check in to see what's new in the business in part a way to see, you know, is there anything we could be helpful with? What's changed? What do you need right now? But in part just as a check-in and to stay connected. And uh, it absolutely astounds me to see how much some of the founders in our portfolio are achieving like day to day, week to week, hour to hour. They're just really like 
putting their heads down and very quickly learning and developing product and um, evolving. And so I think you see that if you spend enough time with someone, even over the course of a couple of weeks, and you see how much they're getting done and you see how much they're learning, it's a very good signal. Like they want to solve this problem so much that they cannot rest, that they want to know everything there is to know. They want to test everything there is to test because they're just consumed by the need to solve this problem. Amazing. And then before I let you go, I would really love to ask you an innovation question we ask all of our guests. So where do you see yourself and your industry in a month from now, in a year from now, and 10 years from now? I mean, who knows? I think um, like myself, so I have a personal mission, which is to connect and build community and to help support people who haven't otherwise had access to resources. And so for me, whether it's a year from now, five years, 10 years from now, that's what I'm going to be doing. That's what fuels me at my core. So in some way, I'm going to be helping to build connection for people. Um, In terms of my industry, I'll tell you, when I joined Pillar uh, now four years ago or so, it felt like a somewhat slow industry to me. I was kind of asking myself mentally, will I be able to do this? Will, Will I be able to exist in this slow world? And the reality now is that I cannot keep up with how fast the venture landscape is changing around us. Um, My partners, Jamie and Russ and um, Parker and Katie on our team, were often just talking about like, all the new uh, investment vehicles that are emerging. Um, I love the idea that more solo operators are getting into the game and founders have the ability to tap into more operating experience. It just feels like there, there's so much innovation happening in the venture world that um, I don't know what it's going to look like five years from now or 10 years from now. I, I do think there will be more open access. I think we're seeing signs that um, more people are able to get in the game as investors, um, more people are able to help startups in that way. And I think that's that's good. And I think this pace of innovation is good for all of us. Like it is keeping us on our toes. We're constantly thinking about new ways to get connected with founders, new ways to support founders that give us an edge. And um, I think that's much better than living in a sleepy and stale industry where people get away with doing with what doing whatever they've been doing for the last few decades. So I think this is going to just produce a really um, good, healthy change in VC overall. Well, thank you so much for your time, Sarah. It's truly been inspiring to watch you come up and share that wisdom with our listeners. Awesome. It's been great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.